Coaches, welcome back for another edition of the Minnesota Basketball Coaching Podcast. Really, really lucky to have uh, Larry McKenzie from Minneapolis North, uh, absolute legend in the state of Minnesota, uh, six state championships. So, uh, Coach, really glad you're able to join us today. Oh, thank you for having me, and I'm honored to be here. Appreciate it. First thing we always ask is coaching Wikipedia page. Uh, so talk to me about your uh, Wikipedia page if, if you're from coaching, where, where you played, uh, and then what led you to Minneapolis North? So I, um, I mean, I grew up in Miami, Florida. Um, uh, actually grew up in a basketball family. So in Miami, uh, my dad uh, was kind of a high school basketball legend in, in Miami. I was blessed to have an uncle, uh, Stan McKenzie, who played um, eight years in the NBA. So uh, it's, it's been a part of my family. Played at Miami Beach uh, High School. Played with a guy that a lot of people may be familiar with. Um, Andy Garcia, who was uh, my point guard uh, as, a, as a sophomore in high school, um, and uh, came up to the Midwest to play at Wisconsin River Falls. And um, after I graduated and left there, uh, decided to um, stay in the Twin Cities, kind of fell in love with the Four Seasons, um, kind of happenstance into uh, to high school coaching. I was... Uh, coaching a traveling basketball team for a number of years. Um, had those guys from third grade to the time they went into the ninth grade. And so uh, when those guys uh, were all getting ready to go into high school, I, I kind of was looking for something to do with my time and was going to church with Ephraim Smith, who was the head coach, who had just gotten a head coach job at that time at Patrick Henry High School. Uh, and uh, I asked Ephraim if he needed any help, and he said, well, I've already hired my staff, but if you want to volunteer, you can come on and, uh, you know, be a part of the staff. So I went to Patrick Henry um, as a volunteer coach in 1996, um, worked like a, a paid coach, and uh, Ephraim happened to also be a youth pastor. So at the end of our first season there, which we end up losing the state championship to St. Thomas uh, that year for a number of reasons. Uh, but but uh, when Ephraim left and got the uh, 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 youth pastor job in, in Dayton, Ohio, uh, all the kids went to the AD and said, we want uh, Coach McKenzie as our coach. And I always say the rest is history. So talk about some of those early years uh, of building that Patrick Henry program. I know I remember watching uh, the Rousen Middle School and your guys' runs with the four straight state championships. And so just talk about what went into, obviously they were successful, like you mentioned the year before uh, that you took over, but what were some of the big things that you looked to install when you uh, took over as the, as the top guy at Henry? Well, I, I think the, the, the number one thing, and I think for anything, right, is creating a winning culture, right? And so setting the tone as to what, what, what expectations were. So, uh, the first thing that I did uh, when I got the job is I uh, sat down at that time, they were juniors with uh, Johnny Gilbert, uh, Tony Travis, and Greg Patton. They were kind of leaders of the team. Um, and so we just kind of sat down, talked about what expectations were, what kind of team we were going to be, some of the things that was really important to me uh, as a coach. And I guess, you know, living in North Minneapolis, so I lived. Uh, five blocks away from uh, North High School at the time, had watched those guys 
uh, seeing some great talent. But what I wasn't seeing was I was seeing kids playing. I was seeing kids winning, but they were not going to school. And so uh, what I wanted to make clear when I took the job at uh, Patrick Henry was we wasn't going to let the game use our kids. They were going to use the game, right? And so uh, the expectation is that you would be student athletes. And so it was just really about setting the tone and the culture. Um, and um, I'm a believer in every year, uh, Brett, for me, and one of the things that I tell my seniors is that it's your team. And you all, as leadership, got to decide what kind of legacy you want to, to lead and what the expectations are. I will help you. My job is to help you. Uh, but it's your team. And so how do you want to be remembered? And I challenge every senior class with that. And so one of my rules have always been around. So uh, when once we agree at, to, to whatever the standards into standards versus rules. So once we set the standards for the team, the, the first violation, the captains decide. And so whether that's, you know, 10 killers, five killers, whatever, you or you don't want to do anything. Me. Um, the second time I get to choose uh, what what how we handle it. And then the third time uh, you give me a uniform and we wish you luck. And so it, it's, it's about uh, setting the culture. So that was a big thing for me going into uh, uh, Henry. I had watched those teams. I knew they had talent. But the one thing that I had watched and noticed uh, that they had lacked discipline. I mean, when you look back and I look at some of the, the talent that Henry had before we got there with uh, Quanton Smith and Prentice Perkins and Calvin Hill. and I mean, you can go on and on. I mean, there were lots of talent. Uh, but the reason that those guys wasn't winning, in my opinion, was they liked discipline. And so that was the first thing that we wanted to do. We wanted to create a culture of discipline, uh, but where kids uh, uh, use the game instead of the game using them. So after Henry, talk about your journey then, how you ended up back, uh, back in Minneapolis uh, at North High. Well, so, so you know, I, I went into – I had an opportunity to coach minor league professional basketball for a year. So I coached a team called the Minnesota Ripneys, took a lot of guys, local guys who had played uh, high school basketball, had gone on to college, and some guys who had been overseas, some of the guys who had played for me. Uh, we played one year in the ABA. Uh, was fun, you know, going to work every day. I was a general manager and a head coach. We did end up winning uh, the division title that year in the ABA, uh, the owners of the team decided because of the lack of organization within the ABA, they didn't want to uh, participate in the actual league championship. So they withdrew uh, from that. Took a year off to watch Lawrence finish up at the University of Minnesota his senior year. And then I went to Holy Angels for, uh, a, uh, for, for, for five years. And in that process, what I found myself, Brett, was there was a lot of kids. So, you know, in addition to being Coach McKenzie, I've been a long-term mentor uh, since I've been out of college uh, in, the, in the Twin Cities, working primarily with young African-American males. So I had a lot of guys uh, that, um, young kids that I had been mentoring, middle school, they were wondering, uh, wondering, uh, you know, about where they were going to go to high school. A lot of those kids have talked about wanting to play for me and those kind of things. And the reality of it is, and I'm just going to be very, very transparent, 
at the time, I, I knew that there was no way uh, that a lot of those kids would ever get into the Academy of Holy Angels. And so because of that, um, I started just thinking about, and really, uh, it, it's a crazy story because my uh, JV coach uh, at the time, Michael Shelton, was the head coach at North. And North had been struggling, and really, he had been calling me for like two weeks. And he kept leaving these messages like, Coach McKenzie, um, we need to put the band back together. And I'm like, what, what, what this dude talking about? You know, and so one day he finally stopped by. He was in my office and he was like, you got uh, you got a few minutes. I need to talk to you. He was like, man, uh, you know, the school is struggling. Um, you, we, you know, it's just not uh, what it, what it, where it needs to be. Uh, I mean, I appreciate the opportunity of being a head coach, but, you know, we need somebody like you to really come and, and, and pick this thing up. And I'm like, uh, and I, and honestly, I told uh, Mike at the time, I say, well, let me pray about it. A few days later, the principal reached out to me and she was like, hey, uh, I, I know the work that you do with young men and particularly uh, young African-American men in the community. Uh, I know about the North and Henry rival. Uh, would you consider, uh, you know, coming to coach at Minneapolis North? And I said, let, let me pray about it. A couple of days later, uh, I get up, I'm going through my daily devotion, and uh, I get to uh, the chapter in Matthew that speaks to about Jesus having to go off into a far off land in order to gain respect. And to me, that was my answer. And so I called them both and said, I'm all in. Uh, and when I went back to North, I mean, first thing I, first thing I did uh, was, to be honest with you, I pulled grades, um, and I looked at... Uh, what the kids were doing in the classroom. And so I said, you know what? Uh, these kids were playing basketball. They really weren't getting it done academically. And I kept one kid from that group of kids. And that particular kid happened to be Tyler Johnson. So we kind of built the squad around him, uh, eighth graders. Uh, so Tyler's sophomore year, we started two sophomores, uh, uh, two freshmen and an eighth grader. And so it took us a couple years first two years uh, with that team being young. We lost uh, in the section finals. And then um, his uh, junior year, or actually his senior year, 2016, where we were able to, to get those guys to the state tournament and, and win a title and, of course, repeat in uh, 17. And I was funny because I was just having this conversation with my wife is that, you know, we actually – uh, were in the state tournament three out of the last four years. And, you know, of course, uh, 19 was a question mark, but we felt like we had a great chance as well to get back uh, again. So that's a little bit of how I got to North. So how do you, and this one came through, I think John Carrier brought this one up on Twitter. I also give a shout out to John. How do you convince kids, you know, when you, when you took over Henry, took over North, uh, to trust you and to stay home? Um. You, you know what, I, 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 again, I mean, I just talk about, it, it, I guess it's about building relationships, right? And uh, I, I, it, so part of it, is, it, it's not really convincing them because as I said, beyond Coach McKenzie, uh, you know, I, I've been involved in the community as a mentor uh, and in other different roles. So a lot of these kids and their families, they know me uh, and they know uh, you know, one of the things that I talk about is, I mean, playing for me is becoming part of my family. You know what I'm saying? And so basically, 
I mean, you're, you're not just a, a point guard or player. You know, you're actually become one of my sons. And so that is the kind of relationship we have. And so it's all about family. And, and obviously, you know, again, when I talk about using the game, not, you know, in, instead of the game using you, uh, you know, what do you want to get out of this? And, and I think over time, you know, and again, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you, it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to make it happen. And so I've been blessed not only to be able to say, you know what I'm saying, we're going to win championships, you're going to go to college, you know. And I tell kids, I mean, one of the things uh, in terms of my, my what I do, Brett, that I believe in so much, I tell parents, like, right, if your son played for me, uh, I guarantee that they're going to go to college. All right. And I, now I'm not saying that they're going to be a division one athlete, division two, II, division three, but I know that they're going to go to college and simply because we got high academic standards. And uh, I know that if you go to class, uh, if you're African-American male with a 3.0 or better, right. And a 20 on your ACT, then we're going to find a school for you somewhere. Right. And so, like I say, it's no magic formula. It's just holding them accountable in terms of being, uh, student athletes. And so that's part of the, of, of what we do. You mentioned being involved in helping, um, develop young, uh, young men in the, in the black community. And I know you were on Matt Bear's podcast. I had a, I had a podcast with, uh, Xander at Roseville and Damian Johnson and coach Clay, Crystal, Crystal Ray, obviously when George Floyd, uh, died this past end of May, um, really tough situation at the hands of, you know, Minneapolis police officers and really brought racial inequalities to the forefront. Um, and I think it's just a big, big, it's really important to keep that conversation going. So how have you addressed the racial inequalities with the athletes and the young men that you work with? So the first thing I, I, I think for me was it was, it was to listen. So the first thing that I immediately did, um, and, and I remember, I mean, I'll never forget that morning at 6.30 in the morning. I can see it vividly right now. My wife coming, running in the room and saying, you got to look at this video uh, and, and, and watching the video. And so uh, within hours, uh, we were calling, uh, schedule a Zoom meeting, get all the guys uh, on, on Zoom. And I'm saying, uh, my question is, okay, of course, 100% had uh, how you feel. And I, I wanted to hear how those guys was feeling. How, uh, and, and, and the interesting thing is this, is that most people don't know prior to me, my, prior to my first day, my first practice ever at Minneapolis North, the Saturday before our first practice, we had the Jamar uh, clock killing uh, three blocks away from the school. And I'll never forget that day because when I walked into the locker room that morning, I could see the pain in my kids' eyes, uh, but they wasn't saying anything. And that really, really bothered me, right? And so going back to George Floyd, uh, it, it, I, I saw that again and about how you feel it. And, and, and a couple of the kids got on and, the, and they were like, I mean, it hurts, you know, this keeps happening. Uh, there's nothing we can do about it. And so that really, you know, I got kind of emotional with, when, when that statement was made. And I'm saying, no, this is why we talk about why school is so important, why getting an education, right? Because uh, as Nelson Mandela said, I mean, education is probably one of the greatest weapons that we have. You got to do this so that you can move into these positions 
where these decisions are being the only way that we're going to begin to make some of these changes. But the other thing that I had to do, to your point, I had to apologize to my son, to all of my former players, right, and to the kids that I'm coaching now. And I apologize because what happens is, um, uh, particularly as an elder, as a black man, we get so busy. You know, this is not the first time. And so after Eric Gardner and, and Michael Brown and all that, you know, we watch things happen, we get up in a roar, but then we go back to being the coach, the teacher, the, the administrator, and we forget about it, right? And so what my promise has been to them uh, and is that I'm not going to get so busy this time that we're going to let this conversation go away. And so one of the things that we've tried to do is keep this conversation at the forefront, uh, at the forefront with educators, uh, with organizations that I'm involved with, uh, with coaches, with everybody, right? And, and in particular, uh, John, I, I, I mean, Brett, I would say to uh, those that are watching this, to, to my uh, white colleagues, coaches such as yourself, you know, we cannot do this uh, by ourselves. And, I, and I'm a firm believer that we've got to get beyond the conversations of black and white and have conversations about wrong and right. Uh, and if we do that, then we can have the kind of impact on society that we want to have. But we need our white friends not to be allies, but as uh, one of my educated uh, colleagues say, co-conspirators in making the changes that need to be made uh, in society. And we get those opportunities because as coaches, right, those kids are like clay in the palm of our hand. And so we get to mold some of their thoughts and those attitudes, and we've got to take advantage of those opportunities. So obviously we have the majority of people that will listen to this will be high school basketball coaches. So we start practice November 23rd. What would be some advice on conversations that white coaches, black coaches, whatever could have with their teams starting off week one uh, in being co-conspirators with and, and helping fight for change? Well, I, I think, you know, so one, um, I would just be continue to, to have the conversations around, you know, obviously what happened this summer. Right, and, and it's not about choosing a side, uh, but I would ask the kids, right? Because ultimately it is always been young people who've changed, uh, the, the changed things in this country, right? And so I would propose the question to them, how can, what are some of the things that we can do? Is there a service project? You know, we've already talked with some coaches about doing some exchange programs that may be, be done through Zoom, but is there a, a school in Minneapolis that you can partner with, right, that you can uh, do, ha have that conversation with uh, as collectively, uh, but what are some of the things that, that can be done in terms of having those conversations, uh, and, and, and done in the spirit of, of sports, you know, uh, all of my career, I mean, going back to my Henry days, one of the things that I've always done is and when you look at our schedule, is we travel uh, to Southern Minnesota. We have a we had a long term relationship with Rushford Peterson, uh, Caledonia now uh, that we're not going to be able to play because of, of COVID. Uh, but but we always have had the tradition of taking our kids outside of the metro, you know, seeing what it what it's like uh, on the other side of the state. We did it with East Grand Falls. Our kids have developed. Uh, what I would bet will be some lifelong relationships with those kids from East Grand Fork. So I think we can use what we do, right, 
to break down some of those barriers. And so those are some of the things I guess I, I wouldn't be a, as a coach uh, necessarily coming to them or any of those kind of things, but having some open discussion based on the things that have gone on this summer. You know what I'm saying? Uh, how do you feel? How did that make you feel, right? And then what can we do as a team, right? Uh, because as I say, we don't want to let this go. So what can we do as a team, right, to have some kind of impact? And that may be that may be a service project of coming down and, you know, providing some food or, or doing some kinds of uh, things. But I think the best thing of it is, is out of the heat of competition is getting to know each other getting to know each other. And when we get to know each other, again, it, it, it becomes about the, the human being and the human spirit and not about our, our color of black and white. Really powerful stuff. Uh, and, and we're in a transition here to a, a little lighter subject. We'll get into the, <laughs> into the X's and O's here. Uh, it, obviously, you've won a ton of games, had a lot of success, like I mentioned, six state championships. Um, so I, I want to know what goes on in, in your guys' practice. So let's start there. Typical practice, you know, early in the season. So kind of the tryout windows pass through. Uh, we're not in kind of that, maybe that taper off mode in February. So what does your practice look like in like an early December? So, so one of the things, so, so you know, I, I always tell uh, people, Brett, so what I do, and, and I'm in the process of doing that right now, I create a puzzle. Um, every year at the beginning of the season. And so what I do in, in uh, first and foremost is, and I do this, and this is one of the things I do, my first practices, uh, my kids don't touch a basketball. And we put a real emphasis on defense, and I run it like it's a basketball camp. I don't make any assumptions. Even if you've been in the program for four years, five years, I don't make any assumption. We go back. Uh, our first three, four practices is teaching the basic fundamentals and it, with a focus on defense. And so the first in December, it's really what I call very, very uh, vanilla. I put in uh, some basic offensive sets. Uh, we've already put an emphasis on man-to-man -man defense and those kind of things. And so you're going to see us doing uh, a lot, not, nothing spectacular. I mean, pretty easy stuff. But the one thing that I can tell you is December, there's a big difference between December and March. And so what I do is, um, so we'll have events that we do in December. We'll add to that in January. We'll add more to that in, in February. So typically, December practices is two hours. Uh, when we get to March, uh, playoffs is 45 minutes. Uh, and so by then, you should know everything. It's just really walking through uh, what, we're, what we're supposed to be doing. And so early on, it's learning terminology learning the basic, uh, uh, the basic uh, stuff that we're going to need to build on our offense. So we start off with a basic motion again. Uh, and then what I'll do in uh, January is what I call audibles. I add in, I add in the audibles to the, to the motion. And then we'll add, uh, so I'll probably add in a, 
another defense, for example. So I'm going to have uh, basic man-to-man defense, motion offense, and a zone offense in early December. And then we build off of that. Talk about the basics of your motion offense. Uh, I, I mean, the, the big thing is, uh, obviously, if, in motion, I mean, and, and I, one of the reasons that I, I like motion is, one, it's very difficult to scout because it's really based on personnel, right? And I can have – and Brett can play the wing and McKenzie can play the wing. But what happens is you might be a spot-up shooter, so you're going to play it one way. I might be a kid that gets to the rec that, and, and use my athleticism or some other kind of things, right? So I'm going to play it, it, it a different way. So it's all around personnel. And the reason that I like it, because we also know that if you get good spacing, if you get good – I mean, and that's a big thing for me is, is – so when we go back to December, right, it's about understanding spacing and all of those kind of things. Because if you get good spacing, you're going to be able to make things to happen, right? Either through hitting, being able to pull up for the three-point uh, shot that, that's going to open it up then for one-on-one um, uh, -on -one opportunities for our post players, right? If you can get into the lane. Uh, and, and, and I tell people this, and I mean, it's, it's no secret. To me, basketball is all about numbers. And so when you get good spacing – uh, in basketball at all times, young coaches, five on four, four on three, three on two, two on one. So when you're, when you're teaching your motion, you just want to get – so if I get a guard that gets into the paint with his defender on the back, what do we have now? We got five on four. That means somebody's going to be open, right? And so it, it's those kind of things that I'm trying to get – in December, I'm trying to get kids to understand the, the situation. Uh, if, if my, uh, you know, I, I want my, my big guys to get into the habit of sprinting the floor, right? Getting to your spots, right? And if you get to your spots, good spacing, good things are going to happen. How about defensively? What are your guys? You mentioned uh, mostly you're going to run man. I think in in Twitter, uh, you mentioned you guys are running ninety percent man. So, what are some of the uh, the main principles of your defense? And then, when do you when are you looking to turn teams over? And then, what is your do you press? Do you look to trap in the half court? What are some ways that you're able to force turnovers? So, so we so, we, so um, we're always going to have a a a press. So. Uh, so either that's, I mean, either we're running man-to-man -man or we'll put, uh, you know, as the season uh, progress, we'll, we'll put in a, a diamond or one, two. I mean, every press, any press that you can think of, we're going we're gonna to run. So, uh, and, I, and, and, and so we're looking to turn you over, you know, uh, things is, is, is creating pressure. Uh, and, and the thing of it is, I mean, basketball is really a simple game, right? So, I mean, if you think about it, if I put pressure, if mo and let's be honest, I mean, a lot of high school kids, they, they're going to panic. So they're going to pick the ball up, and then I just got to pressure you for five seconds. You know what I'm saying? Get you into a bad pass or, uh, or, or those kind of things. So, so uh, you know, we, we're going to – so I'm going to try, try to force uh, teams away from the basket, uh, that kind of stuff. And, and then we want to uh, – I mean, I'm a I'm – a, a, Older analytic guys, so right. So I'm gonna look at shot uh, about percentages, right? If you can shoot the ball well enough that you're knocking down threes and 
You're going to beat us from the three-point line. Uh, I have to live with that, but we're not going to uh, let you beat us to the paint and get easy twos. You know what I'm saying? So, so we're moving. We're protecting the paint. It's kind of, I, I'd say, you know, when, when, when I'm playing man-to-man, -man, it's a combination of a whole, uh, and, and I'll be honest with you, I've got a little bit of, of, of stuff from Tubby Smith, a little bit of stuff from, uh, from everybody in terms of how we teach the defense. But the main thing is I, I, I want to keep you out the middle and out of the paint uh, because, you know, ball gets in the middle of Chris Hatton. When you and your man press, uh, when are you guys looking to run and jump or to go double the ball? Uh, when we, you know, it, like in any situation, we want you to, when a guy is turning his back, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you want to you want to get, get, get up in that guy and you're making him turn. And as soon as he lose, lose, lose sight of his teammates and that kind of stuff, I mean, you, you want to trap him, you know what I'm saying? Or, or, you know, um, right as he gets to the half court line, you know, I, I we want to use those boxes to, to, to put you in a trap situation. How are you defending screens? We'll start off the ball. I mean, a lot of teams are doing a lot of ball screen stuff, but you know, some of the really effective offense are so really utilizing off ball screens. So what is your guys's main uh, way that you defend screens? So it depends. I'm a, uh, again, one of the things is that I love about my high school coach, Chuck Filson. I mean, he was, you know, ball screen, get down low, get, get over the screen. So based on the scouting report, yeah, shooters, if, if the kids can shoot, you know what I'm saying? We're, we're, we work at teaching our guys to get over, you know what I'm saying? So uh, with that, and then of course, of course, I mean, the, 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 the most, and, and I'll tell you between the difference between a, a good defense and a great defense is communication. And so it's talking. Uh, and so sometimes uh, if it's a shooter, I really want our guys to get over the top and, and get through. Uh, but again, depending on the personnel out there, you know, sometimes if I can, I, I go with what I call 55X. I mean, so we're, we're switching all five positions. And so we want our, and so that goes back to the early practices. I, I, I think, and I'll ask you this in, in, uh, as we're doing the podcast, how many positions are there in basketball? I personally think that there's one. I think, I think if you're looking at the way the game has changed, I know, you, you know, you might have a, it depends on the team. You know, we, us personally, the way we play, we run stuff that's pretty interchangeable. And when we see teams at the most, we'll break it down to three positions. You got a big, you got wings and you got a guy who's their primary ball handler. But I truthfully want our guys to be able to, uh, to defend all five. I mean, obviously, you know, a five, eight kid on paper might not have an advantage against a six, six kid in the post, but I think there's some ways that they can get creative to gain an advantage. If they get switched on a bigger guy in the post, if it's, you know, trying to jump a pass or go underneath the arm and make, you know, make that tough entry pass. So we're really big about positionless. Um, obviously, you know, there's team that are one really, really good point guard uh, and a big, then maybe it's a, they, they got wings, a big and a point guard. But I think just the way the game's moving, we, we really try to make our guys positionless and we switch five. So um, we're trying to make the game look that way. If, if, if that, if that answers. Absolutely. I mean, and, and honestly, you, you, you probably, the, you, you, you're the first person that ever really answered that in the way that I would, I, but I say two, and, and I teach my guys this. I say there's two positions in basketball, perimeter and post, right? Cause a wing they're, Wing point guard, they're all perimeter, right? And if and and there's and a basketball player, so there's two positions: perimeter and post. 
But a good basketball player, a good post player can play on the perimeter and a good perimeter guy can play in the post or guard the post, right? So your answer is 100% uh, correct. And so, so I said that to go back to your question is, we want our guys to be able to, our post guys to be able to guard out on the perimeter. So it depends on the personnel and the scouting report. So there's sometimes, um, depending on the kid, you know, you got a big guard or whatever, or you can knock down three, that, that post guy is going to have to switch and get out and, uh, and, and guard that guy. Then we're going to have to rotate and make those rotations. But uh, so it, it, it really depends on the, uh, the scouting report. But I like, I really like our kids to, you know, get low uh, and get over the top of that screen as you can. If, if it's a guy that want to penetrate and we know that they want to get to the rack, then you'll go under and kind of meet him at the spot. Uh, but it's really a, a, a. I'm guessing some of the better guys that you've had, like I guess in recent memory, we'll just talk about Tyler Johnson, obviously, as with his uh, NFL career here taking off. I'm guessing he could probably play inside guard anywhere, right, for you? He was a basketball oh, yeah. player. You, 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 you've had guys like that, right. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, and then you get a guy like, you know, even at 6'6", six, six, uh, Jamel Jackson, I mean, who can guard out on the perimeter. Even now, I mean, you got a guy like, like the uh, Devon Towning Jr. I mean, who, you know, I mean, six, 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 seven, 240 pounds. I mean, but he's got great feet, right? And he can pick up. And so, you know, last year we had him guarding guys like Kerwin, Walton, and other guys, just depending on, you know, who we were playing. So, uh, you know, and then even there are times, you know, we got guys that are just, you know, you, you get a guy like a couple of years ago, uh, Omar Brown, 6'1". He's also a football player playing at Northern Iowa, but Omar guarded all five positions. And so um, typically, or I'll tell you like Isaac Johnson, Isaac Johnson and Omar, it didn't matter who, whoever the leading scorer was, that was their assignment. So it didn't matter whether they were a post guy, 6'10", or what, that's who they guarded. Uh, just because they played, that, they could defend like that. Yeah, I think if you look at, I mean, everyone wants that 6'8 kid who can guard five positions, who is a scholarship player. But I think on, in most high schools, uh, if you can have 6'1 to 6'3 across the board, I think those guys can be able to guard anywhere and you can have a lot of success. And you mentioned the 6'1 kid who's down in Northern Iowa who is a great defender for you. I think that's the, those I think are the best defenders that I've seen, you know, at the high school level. Those guys who, they don't care. They'll go, they'll just, like you said, all right, who's, this guy's averaging 22 a night, you got him. Like that. Right. Yeah, that made, that, I think that was, was what really makes a good defense is you got those guys who can, you know, there isn't a mismatch. I mean, you mentioned all the point about offense. It's all about numbers. Well, on the flip side of that, if you got guys who can, can stop the other team from getting numbers, I mean, that's not even half the battle. I think that's three-quarters of the battle on defense. No, no question about it. Right. I mean, and, and guys that can pick. Right. I mean, and so, right, and, and that is the battle in terms of coaching, right, uh, on offense. You want to gain the advantage on 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 numbers, um, and even on and on the defense. You want to be able. I mean, and this is where your rotations and personnel come into play, right? You want to be able to make sure that you can guard and rotate so that they that, that those numbers aren't ever there, right? So if somebody get beat, right? There's a this next man that's stopping him, and whoever that guy that's on the back now is rotating to the farthest guy out, you know what I'm saying? So now you you get back to that five-on-five five as quickly as you can. So to me, I mean, I guess that's the, uh, 
the joy of, of of coaching you know what i'm saying to me that that is the joy because uh it, it's it's a chess game it's a chess game right uh on both ends for sure uh you mentioned you mentioned game prep so i want to transition into that uh, how much time do you put in scouting assistance put in scouting versus just really focusing on uh, what you guys are going to run and not worrying as much about the opponents that you're going to play. So Bobby Knight say it's all about execution. So um, I, uh, I, I, I'm going to have a scouting report on every team. So we get out at the beginning of the year. I mean, it'd be interesting to see how we get it done this year. Uh, but we, uh, we typically get out to see our opponents. Uh, my, um, one of my assistant coaches in charge of putting together the uh, scouting schedule. So everything on our staff is assigned uh, two or three games. I typically pick uh, some of the games of teams that I really want to see. Uh, but we even, I mean, we even try to project all the way to March who we might be playing. So, you know, we're going to, we would see uh, Wasika or uh, Caledonia two or three times if, if possible. Uh, and then we're going to watch them on film. Uh, if we have that through through huddle uh, with our kids, so uh, I, I do a, a lot of that. But in the end, uh, to your point, my philosophy is it, it doesn't matter. We just got to do what we do on the offensive end. Do those things uh, that we know you know works, uh, then we'll be successful. How much uh, time do you put into your practices preparing for if it's a Hopkins or if it's a Brooklyn Center or whoever the case may be, uh, one of the better teams that are going to be on your schedule? How much time do you put in the practice in the in the day leading up to that game? So, so, so typically for me, uh, the day before a game is so I, I want the scouting report that day. Uh, we're going to go through the scouting report on game day, and so we're preparing. Uh, and I tell people, I mean, so two things. I mean, and even in particular, coaches and parents. To me, April through October is about individual development, and November through uh, March is about team development. So during the season, our focus is on team stuff, right? And so the day before Hopkins game, we're watching their film. We're going through the scouting report. Uh, where the, the the JV is running their plays um, and that kind of stuff. And so uh, so I specifically uh, will go through our routine stuff, but to answer your question, so probably 30, about, well, I give them about a good 30 minutes of our practice specifically to our opponent. And that's regardless of whether it's a big game or not. That's just the way that we do it. I have some uh, quick hitter questions from some um, lighter questions that were brought up on social media. And one I'll say for last, which I think he'll get a kick out of was texted to me. Uh, but last from kind of program or uh, basketball related um, philosophical type thing, how do you build leaders in your program? Um, so we, we, we invest a lot into our uh, leaders. So uh, one, I, I just, I'm using all kinds of tools. I mean, we've had our kids, like uh, kids that would probably be candidates to be captain went through a uh, Jeff Jansen course this summer. Um, uh, there are books that I give our kids. I have um, doing uh, the season, I meet weekly with uh, what I call my leadership council. 
So I have a couple kids from varsity, a representative from JV, and a representative from ninth grade. And we meet on a weekly basis. I talk to them about what do they think about practice, what more would they like to see, uh, those kind of things. But to me, that's part of what our job is, right, to use the game. Uh, and, and I'm into empowering. And then, like I said, I really want my, my, my leaders to know that it's their team. And then I want my young kids, my young kids, my, the, 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 the ninth grade, the sophomores that are in that leadership council, to see those older kids. And I want them to have, you know, they're, they're having conversation with me. They're having conversation with my staff, uh, that kind of stuff. And, and, it, and it's really about family. This is not about coach, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and there are times when it is a dictatorship, but but there are t- but but I, I do want them to be heard. So we're constantly, and I'm a big guy. So one of the things is too, I'll tell you. So this year, uh, every year I bring in so, uh, some kind of book or something. So like this year, we spent all season long, 18 chapters of John Gordon's training camp. Uh, that was, so uh, after school, when we're doing our study hall, and that kind of stuff, we do what we, we have a life skill component, right? And so part of that life skill is one day is focused on leadership. And that leadership day was all on John Gordon's training camp, you know, how to be the best you that you can be. That's awesome. That, that's really good stuff. I know John Gordon is, is a great resource for coaches. Um, if it's energy bus or uh, some of the other ones are really good. So we'll use energy bus this year. <laughs> awesome. Um, how do you, you know, how do you expect, you mentioned this, the season to be a little bit different with COVID. Uh, I mean, you mentioned scouting is going to be challenging. I didn't even think of that. What are some other things that, you know, someone who's been doing this for a while and has had a lot of success, what are, what are some things that you see this year playing out? Well, I, I mean, you know, if, if things stay, uh, again, I mean, I, that, I'm trying to, to figure that out. Like you said, I mean, it, it's the scouting. It's, uh, I mean, and I don't know, you know, for us right now, financially with our district, you know, and buses and the cost of buses, whether or not we'll even be able to have a ninth grade program, right? And so that creates some uh, dilemma there because, you know, we've got a lot of talented young kids. And so what do you do, uh, you know, with those kids? I mean, I think those are some of the questions that we'll have to answer early on. Like I said, the, 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 our, the way our program has been developed around the accountability, right? If we're just kids stay at distant learning and we're just meeting at the gym where you, you know, uh, and if I've only got two hours, how do in terms of continuity and keeping things somewhat similar to the way we've done, you know, how much time do I give to some of those other things in terms of reducing some of the basketball time? So there's a lot of those kind of things for me. Uh, that that I think we we've got to figure out, and, and the biggest thing is is too is staying safe. You know, I mean, how do we keep um, the coaching staff? How do we and the kids safe uh, with you know with, without having the uh, luxury of being in a bubble? What's your greatest uh, reward in coaching? Oh, for me, to be honest with you, it, it, it typically five years to almost five years to the day after kids leave me, uh, usually around Father's Day is getting those calls from former players saying, thank you, coach. I didn't understand what you were doing while we were there. Now all of this makes sense to me. 
uh, being invited to college graduation, seeing kids who, who I know uh, without the game of basketball and without some of the things that we did would have never had an opportunity uh, to go to college, but they use the game. And so because of that, now they walk across the stage, they've changed their life. They've changed. I, I got so many kids that even to this day uh, will be the first kid in their family to go to college. And so when you get that invite to be invited to, uh, to go to a graduation or you see, you know, that those kids have gotten their degrees or when they call and say, thank you. I mean, all of those kind of things. I mean, that's, that's the greatest reward that I've ever had. What impact has coaching had on your own individual personal growth? Well, I, I mean, so first, first and foremost is the thing that, that uh, two things, uh, honestly, that I've learned is kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And as cliche as that is, it's, it's real. These days that uh, as a coach, uh, and, 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 and I mean, just, just in terms of lifestyle, I understand that I'm a, not a role model, but a real model for my kids. And so I can't ask my kids to do anything uh, that I, I wouldn't do. And so it, it increased my own personal level of accountability, you know, uh, accountability outside of the community. And, and I tell my kids all the time, by choosing to be a coach, if, if I go out and do something crazy, the headlines will not read Larry McKenzie, you know, uh, had got a DUI. It'll read Minneapolis North coach. You know what I'm saying? And so part of, of choosing to do what I do, I've given that up. And so I've got to understand that responsibility. And so I, 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 that's my expectation. I understand that every time I walk out of the door, everything that I do, you know, I'm, I'm representing Minneapolis North and I'm representing this community. And, and I need to be doing that uh, with a, 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 a with excellence as a standard at all times. Uh, and so for me, uh, you know, and so again, Brett, I mean, I don't know about other people, but, but it also, it makes me be conscious of how I talk to my wife, how I talk to my kids, my relationship with my own kids, my relationship with my grandkids, all of those other kind of things, because I know that my kids are watching. And the thing that I've learned about working with teenagers and, and particularly young men our kids they want you know all the stuff that we tell them they want to catch us in that moment where oh coach messed up you know and, and and i would say that's the other thing too one of the things that i'm big about is people know my success they don't know my story i don't have a challenge with sharing my movie with my kids right um i'm here i'm doing what i do because somebody helped me uh, and so all of those kind of things, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I mean, the, the increased accountability personally, knowing that, uh, knowing, uh, what I do and how I do it is so important to the life. And I just think, man, to be honest with you, and I know there's a lot of coaches out there in public schools and they can't say these kind of things, but I just think it's an awesome responsibility in life for God to tap you on the shoulder to be in charge of, of making a difference in young people's life. Like we could be doing a whole lot of things, but for me to be chosen to be in this special group and be called a coach. And I love, love, one of my favorite quotes is what Billy Graham uh, says, that a coach will impact more kids in a year than most people in a lifetime. I guess I just take that serious. 
And so that's what it's done for me. Long answer, but yeah, but increase accountability. No, it's great. I mean, you've had a lot of success and obviously the the connections and the relationships that you've made with your kids have been the the core of that success. And obviously you've had great basketball players, but there's been a lot of teams with great basketball players who haven't had success. So a lot of, you know, if I'm a young coach listening to this, I mean, there's just so much, so many life lessons and relationship pieces that I would be able to pull from this, from this conversation. So what you're saying is awesome and, and, and it's great. I don't, it it might've been a long answer, man, but it was, it was really good stuff. Uh, you mentioned uh, your, your son and grandkids. Talk about what it was like coaching your son and also winning a state championship with him. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, it, 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 it's special. And we have, you know, we, it's a special bond. I mean, my son played, you know, all four years. I mean, how many guys can say they won? four titles with their son uh, being on the team for all four years. Uh, so that was special. But I, I'll tell you this. Um, we had our challenges, and it helped me grow up. And I had to get to the point, and I actually had to make my wife a promise that um, when I got in the car, you know, the thing that I didn't realize early on is that all the kids got to go home, but he never did. So as soon as we got in the car, I started going through the game, those kind of things. Uh, uh, and, and so I, I had to learn how to transition from uh, after the game, after practice, transition from being coach to being a, a, a father. So, uh, and I think that was just a valuable lesson for me, uh, for both of my kids. And, uh, but, you know, my son now is one of my best friends. He's also one of my uh, closest advisors right now in terms of uh, giving me advice. He was very instrumental in the conversation when I decided to go to North High School. And one of the people that, you know, uh, even though he played at Henry, encouraging me to, to, to do so, uh, to, to do that. Uh, so that's, that's special, man. And that'll always be special. You know, uh, we had our ups and we had our downs, but there's so many things that uh, we learned from it. He threatened a couple of times to, to transfer. And I said, well, Who's going to sign the papers? So that's not how so. <laughs> Who's the best player uh, that you've seen come out of the city conference? I, I think without question, Khalid el uh, from from day one. I mean, as an eighth grader, uh, there's no uh, – that, that, that he was a very, very special young man. And I think – I mean, I think that was evident through not only his high school, but – but through what he did at Connecticut with winning a national championship, uh, without a doubt. And there's been, you know, the thing about it is, I mean, I think people forget sometimes. Uh, Minneapolis City Conference, even though it's not where it used to be, that's there, you know, with, with uh, Prentice Perkins and Khalid, I mean, Rob Mestis, uh, Brett McNeil, uh, Derek Rubin. I mean, you look at, I think Minneapolis City Conference probably have more Mr. Basketball maybe than anybody else. Uh, so there's been lots of talent, but I think without a doubt, Khaled Elamine is the best player to ever come out of the, the city. All right, this is from, uh, and I'm going to give up my source on this one. It's from Matthew McAllister texting me. He didn't want to put this out on Twitter, but he wanted to know who's your best looking assistant coach you've ever had. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> you, you know what? All, uh, you know, Matt's, Matt's a very sharp guy in shop dressing and all of that. <laughs> But but all of my coaches, man. I mean, I think they battle for it. Uh, uh, and, and I'm gonna be honest with you now. And this is what Matt. But but if I answer that question honestly, 
uh, I have a young lady that's on my uh, staff, Negation Jackson. And if you ever see Negation on the sideline, I mean, you think she's going out to dinner uh, when she's on the sideline. I mean, she she's up there. But I, I, I'd, I'd say uh, it, that that's a tough one. That's a real tough one. <laughs> uh, last one here. Uh... Would you ever consider running for political office? I mean, I, I'd, I'd vote knock on doors for you right, right this second if you announce, announce your candidacy. You know what? I think I get that question all the time, Brett, from people. But, Ben, you have to – I think my grandmother used to say that about 5% of the people on earth ever really, really, really get to fulfill and know their purpose. Uh, I'm a high school basketball coach who've been tapped on the shoulder to help young boys become young men. Uh, and as much as there are times, I'm a political science major, and my goal some 30 years, 30, 35 years ago was to be a U.S. senator. But I always say God had another plan. And so I think I'm living my purpose right now. And as much as I've thought about it and as much as other people have encouraged me to do so, uh, that's not a desire that I have uh, at this particular time. Coach, I really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, last thing, do you have any advice? I mean, you've done this for a while now. Uh, advice for a first-year head coach? Uh, yeah, so, so I think, I mean, the one thing is I, I would say this, you know, and, and here's the toughest part. You'll, you'll go to a lot of clinics and you'll hear a lot of different coaches. You'll listen to, to this podcast and you'll hear some of the things that I say. I'll say, be you, right? Be you. Find what works for you. And so what, that offense, that defense, whatever that thing of it is. But, but the most important thing I'll say is this, though. Also, I tell young coaches this. Figure out what your non-negotiables are. Figure out what your non-negotiables are. And no matter what happens, stick to those non-negotiables. Stick to those non-negotiables. But you got to just be you. And, uh, and just don't compromise that at any point. That's awesome. No, that, that, that's it. That's great. And I think it's a great way to end this coach again. Uh, I want to thank, you know, you're someone, uh, you know, I mentioned this to a few other coaches I've had on here that I remember being in middle school. Uh, you know, my older brother was an Oh three grad and he was against, he was in the same conference as soccer Rapids when he was, we were, he was playing at Brainerd high school. I know you played soccer Rapids in a state championship game. So I remember, you know, being able to watch that team a couple of times and then, you know, watch them at the state championship. And I was just so amazed with your teams and your coaching. And it's definitely someone that I've looked up to, uh, I know one of your assistants reached out to me a while back. He's like, hey, you got to get Mackenzie. You got to get Larry on the podcast. I go, hey, I want to get more. I want to build my, I want to be, get, build some respect up before I reach out to him. Cause, uh, you know, that's how highly I've thought about you and the pedestal that I put you on as a coach, some of that I've watched and, you know, try to learn from as much as I can. So I appreciate you coming on, coach. Real, uh, really enjoyable for me to, to have you on and be able to talk with you today. Yeah. Thank you, Brett. And I mean, and I know uh, Trent Witts, who's probably one of my biggest PR people. But uh, I, I want to say, too, to any of those young coaches out there, uh, feel free to reach out to me. I mean, if I could be of any help on, on Twitter, uh, on uh, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, or any of that kind of thing. I mean, one of the things that I really, really enjoy, you know, I, I, I share this all the time. I think it's Napoleon Hill saying, 
having knowledge and not sharing it is like having an atomic bomb and not using it. And so I, I want to be a resource uh, to young coaches. Uh, I'm here because somebody helped me. Uh, and so if I can help you, don't hesitate. Uh, you know, shoot me a, a, a message. Give me a phone call. Uh, I, I'm, I'm always open to never too busy. Um, and, and I appreciate the way, you know, guys look at me. But uh, I, I'm just like you guys. I'm still trying to learn. And I just I love talking to coaches, uh, love talking basketball, love sharing uh, the knowledge that I've acquired over time. So. All right, Coach, thank you. Um, everyone stay safe. Have a good week. Uh, and thanks again for listening.